You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today, if you've got your Bibles, we're beginning a new series called Roadmap to Recovery. Roadmap to Recovery over the next few weeks. Uh, I'm excited to share this word with you. And uh, this came out of something that God put on my heart that I believe is a word for our church, uh, for many people in our church for this season. That, that, you know, we began this year with two things that God began to direct us in. Uh, the first was that this is going to be a year of restoration for many people. And this is going to be a year of multiplication as we expand the kingdom of of God and reach North Iowa for Jesus. And so I, I spoke on that in the beginning of the year, and God brought me back to that restoration piece that I want to really speak into and, and, and study and look at from God's word over the next few weeks. Uh, and, and this is important because I believe that God brings recovery in a way that's not just natural, but it can be supernatural when God's involved. Yeah. And what do I mean by recovery? I, I don't know your story, but I know just about everybody I've ever met has lost something. Everybody's lost something. Sometimes we lose things in our life. We lose things in our faith. We lose things in our passion. We lose things uh, in, our, in our calling and in our purpose. We lose things in our God-given identity, our God-given inheritance, whatever it is that God has given to us many times through life, through circumstances, through pain, disappointment, what people have done, and even the choices that we've made in our own failures, we lose some things. But God is in the business of restoration. He's in the business of recovery. And if you're taking notes today, the, the, the message title for today is Life in Death Valley. Life in Death Valley. We're going to begin in Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. It's right in the middle of the Old Testament. Uh, one of the larger Old Testament pro- prophetic books. And uh, Ezekiel 37 is actually, it's just a little bit unique. In fact, there's several places throughout the Old Testament. If you're new to the Bible, there are several places in, the, in God's word, and especially in the Old Testament, where, where a, a prophet, somebody would hear from God and share what God had to say to the nation of Israel, would have a, a, a really just a above and beyond supernatural encounter with God. And that would sometimes take the place of a dream or a vision or something that God would reveal or do in them. And this is no different. This This is a vision that Ezekiel has where God brings him. In verse 1, it says, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. And he set me down in the midst of a valley. This is a prophetic vision that he sees. He sees a valley, a dry valley, and it was full of bones. So what Ezekiel is brought to, God's going to show him a picture. And this picture looks like a barren wasteland a great big valley that is full of nothing but death, nothing but decay, nothing but disconnection. It's full of dry bones. In fact, he drives this point home. Then he caused me to pass by all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, God speaking to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And so he answers, and he says, well, Lord, you know. You know the answer. Again, he said to me, prophesy, that is, say the word of the Lord, say God's word, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. 
I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath, my breath, in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel does what he's told. He prophesies as he's commanded. And he says, as I began to say this, as I began to prophesy, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together, bone to bone. And indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. And also he said to me again, prophesy to the breath, son of man. Say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, breathe on these who are slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them. They lived and stood on their feet. What was once a valley of dry, hopeless, dry bones is now an exceedingly great army. Verse 10, he said to me, son of man, these bones, this is what that whole vision represents, this whole picture that Ezekiel's given. He says, these bones are the whole house of Israel. All of God's people, he says, they're the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. They've lost something. And if you know their story, Israel was continually unfaithful to God. One generation after another, sometimes they would have seasons of returning and seasons of, of restored relationship with God. And they would turn away from idols things that they made with their hands to bow down and worship, but, but they would turn away from those and turn to the living God, and they'd have seasons of revival, but, but almost without fail, they would turn back to these worthless, dead, dry things that would leave them empty, and every generation would have to fight for what the last generation either gained or lost. And what they found themselves in by the day of Ezekiel is that they're now taken away from their homeland. They've not only lost their faith, but now they've lost everything they have. They've lost their land. They've lost their, their place. They've lost their, their people. They're, they're taken away captive to a foreign land. And Ezekiel is given this vision, one, to recognize what the cause of the problem is, but also to, die, to, to, to speak to the answer that God would bring. And I love Ezekiel because while it describes many of the causes of the the sin of the nation that would bring judgment and that would cause them to be in this condition where their hope is gone, God always had a redemptive message. God always has a message of restoration from what's broken. God looked at a nation that had fallen in their sin and their idolatry in departing from God, and God said, I'm not done with them yet. He said, there's still hope. They say our hope is lost, things are dry. Like that, that's, they're describing their condition and God sees it, recognizes it and then he calls Ezekiel to do something about it. He tells them, say something, say the word of the Lord, prophesy to these bones what God says. The problem with religion, as I've told you before, is that it, it analyzes how dry the bones are. It, it, becomes an, it, it makes experts of dryness and loss. And then develops a theology on why the bones will stay dry, why they'll always be dry, why the hope will always be lost. And yet Ezekiel is told to hear what God has to say. That God was saying, hope's not lost, hope's not gone. These dry bones will become an army. Now I don't know about you, but there may be some areas in your life that you look at and go, that's hopeless. You look at some relationships 
You look at some circumstances, you look at some economic forecasts, you look at, you look at some corruption in the culture and in the world, and you look at all these things around you, and if you're not careful, all you'll see are dry bones. It doesn't take a prophetic person to say what they see. <laughs> Anybody can, I, I hear this all the time, you know, people describe, well, this is bad, and this is, and, and that's true, but it takes a prophetic person to hear what God says about the dry bones. Like, like, do you look at something in your life? Do you look at a person in your life and say, well, that person's too far gone? Can I just tell you, my favorite thing here at River City Church is to see, I look, you know, everybody talks, oh, it's, we're in a small town. It's a small town. Can you believe it? You know what I love about a small town? I love to see people that people have known their whole lives. They've said, that person will never change. Things will never be different. And God just shows up. I hear all the time, people go, oh, I went to school with them. And I had no idea what God could do. Can I just tell you, you have no idea. We just sing about it. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above. Do we just complain about the dry bones or do we say what God says about them and to them? So some of you know my background. I spent 32 years of my life in not a spiritual desert, but an actual desert. <laughs> 32 years of my life, I grew up first in Las Vegas, the first 18 years, and then in Phoenix, where I went to college in Arizona. And I, when, when we later moved to Florida and then to here, uh, I always felt like I'm on vacation because stuff's green, like things actually grow. And, and you know, in, in Arizona especially, I tried to grow stuff. I tried to, to, to grow grass in my yard, and yet every summer it would die. <laughs> he would ask me when I moved, uh, what's it like growing up in the desert? And, uh, well, it's, it's obviously, you know it's dry, and it's so dry in Phoenix, in fact, that many times your sweat will evaporate. You don't know you're sweating, because you don't feel it, but you're sweating. It's just evaporating. It's coming so quick. Uh, I, I like to tell people it's like this. It's like walking outside, and somebody meets you at the door with a blow dryer in your face. And I found this out one day when my wife was actually visiting Mason City on vacation, seeing her family, and I was getting the house ready, and she gave me the honeydew list. Anybody got the honeydew list? I learned in 16 years, get the honeydew list done. Come on, somebody. And I had the list. One of the things on the list was to do some stuff in our yard, but unfortunately, I'm sometimes a procrastinator. I'm going to stop being a procrastinator tomorrow, by the way. But, but I, I got to the last day before she came, and I thought, I got to get outside, except the problem was the temperature spiked to a balmy, cool 122 degrees. Hottest day I'd ever had in my entire life in Arizona. And, and let's just say nothing grew, nothing survived. Uh, the thing with that is when you walk out on the pavement, you get cooked on both sides because the pavement heats up, and so you're not only dealing with the heat from the sun, but you're cooked on both sides. It's coming up from the ground. Uh, you, you do things like this to survive the heat. You crack your windows in your car, and you leave your garage door partially open because you've got to let the heat out. Uh, and when you see somebody driving their car with oven mitts on their hand, you think, that is a genius. Like if you saw that in Iowa, you'd be like, that is very strange. But if you see it in Phoenix, that is genius level uh, activity because that is very smart. If you've ever put your hands on a hot steering wheel in the middle of Phoenix in the summer, you, you, you get it. And, and here, I'll just say this last thing. Um, you give up on landscaping. And you just put rocks in your yard. Like, like, you know it's interesting when the way we decorate the desert is more desert. 
Like you take rocks and you just organize them and put a cactus in it and call it done because nothing else can survive. We actually used to get dust storms too. Instead of rainstorms, they would occasionally happen, we would get dust storms where just a lot of dust would come. And, and where we would, I remember I was telling somebody this a couple weeks ago that the two kind of big trips for when we were kids for field trips we're in one of two places. The first one was Hoover Dam, which was not too far from Vegas, where Lake Mead is and, you know, most of the water and electric and power is for that area. But we also had a field trip, which I never went to, but it was in Death Valley. I, I had no interest in going on a field trip with my class to Death Valley. And in fact, if we could put a picture on the screen, the first one of Death Valley, this is what Death Valley looks like. It's the hottest, a little blurry, but uh, this is uh, the hottest point, uh, the hot, has the hottest recorded temperature on planet Earth. And it also is the place that has the lowest elevation in North America. And so Death Valley is called this, not just to be spiritual, but it's really hard for things to live there. Uh, and and, and I, I was thinking about this when we look at Ezekiel 37, because what Ezekiel sees is a picture that looks just like this, except it's full of bones that represent the lives, the brokenness, the loss of God's people. And all they could see was this. They said, our bones are dry, our hope is lost. If you're taking notes, the first point today is don't lose hope. I think hopelessness is killing a generation. Hopelessness, in fact, it's, it's happening younger and younger than ever before. Where hopelessness is affecting families, marriages, individuals, even kids, where there's now in many places a sense of hopelessness because and I think here's the reason why, is because there's a, there's a hope that comes from the world and there's a hope that comes from God. The hope that comes from the world is fleeting and temporary and it's based on everything feeling right in the moment. And if you've lived long enough, you know that that hope doesn't last. It's based on how things feel. It's based on everybody liking you and everybody getting along and everybody agreeing and, and everything being good and, and, and having all the circumstances that you want, your boss liking you and you get that promotion and you have the best house and the, the car and, the, and, and whatever it is. And we have a worldly hope that's based on things that are temporary and are fleeting. But the Bible gives us a different picture of hope. In fact, it's, hope's been defined this way. Hope is the confident expectation of good. It's the confident expectation of good. Have you ever said, I hope things will be different? <laughs> That's not biblical hope. I hope things get different. If I say I hope like that, like what I'm thinking is maybe, maybe not. I wish it would. I think, I think it should. I'd like it. But, but, but biblical hope is a certainty that comes from who God is. Biblical hope is a certainty that says, I know my God is good. I know what my God says in his word. I know what the Holy Spirit has said. I know what God is doing, and I trust his promise, and I trust his word, and I am confidently expecting that God will do what he said he'll do. Do you see the difference? One's kind of wishy-washy. It's like the weather. I hope it's nice on Sunday, and then we get a nice, warm sun summer day like today. And if you live your life with that kind of hope, you'll be just like the dry bones in the valley. My hope's lost. My hope's gone. In fact, I think hopelessness is the greatest epidemic in the world. And, and as the church, 
we have the opportunity to receive and spread hope. Not a hope based in us and in our circumstances and in our feelings, but a hope that's based in Jesus and who he is. I love this in Romans 4, 17. It talks about Abraham and how God gave him a promise. While he still had no children of his own, God gave him a promise that he would be made a father of many nations, verse 17. And God said this, and he received this promise, in the presence of him, capital H, that is in the presence of God, whom he believed. So Abraham was given a a promise in the presence of the promise giver. See, hope has to be based in who he is. The the less you are of, uh, excuse me, the, the less aware you are of God, the less hope you'll have. The more you live continuously with your eyes on Jesus in the presence of God, recognizing, responding to, abiding in the presence of God, the more hope-filled you'll live. I'm just telling you, people who spend time with God, spend time with Jesus, always walk away more full of hope because you behold the one that says nothing's impossible. In fact, he describes God this way. He says, God who gives life to the dead. Why is there hope? Well, do you know the basis of our faith is a dead man coming to life? So so tell me what God can't do. The basis of our relationship with God, restored to God, is the resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God becoming the Son of Man, taking our sin and shame, the very thing that brought us and made us dry bones in a valley, that he took the price, he paid the price, He died and he was buried and he was placed in that tomb and yet three days later he conquered death, conquered sin, conquered hell, conquered the grave. God gives life to the dead. So is the thing you've lost dead right now? Is your hope and expectation dead right now? Is the promise, does the promise look dead right now? Does the opportunity look dead? Does the relationship look hopeless? Oh, but, but he doesn't even stop there. It says, and he calls. <laughs> so, so if it's dead, he can raise it to life. But he also calls those things that are not. Like he's not even limited by what exists but is now dead. He can call those things that do not exist as though they did. We, we serve a God who from the very beginning, what does it say in Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God. Like God didn't start with materials and build something. In fact, there's nothing in all of creation that's new because we're, we're building with and creating with what God's already created. But in the beginning, how did God create? God, God said, let there be light. He created with his word. His word created, his word brought out of nothing and made it something. God gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they do. Why is this important for us in this message? Because right now you may look at the promise of God. Maybe you don't even have a promise yet from God. But you look at your situation and you think, I don't see it. I don't see how what, I'm, what I've lost and what I'm missing can ever happen. It's too late. Too much time has passed. I don't have enough. I'm not enough. I don't have the right people with me. They left me. They hurt me. Whatever the list is that keeps us focused on the dry bones. God can bring nothing. He can bring something out of nothing. In fact, it's what he does. This is like his resume right here. 
God on, his, on, uh, on an average day raises things to life and calls those things that do not exist. So, so don't evaluate what you don't have. God says to Abraham, oh, you don't have a son? You're gonna be father of many nations. What did Abraham do? It says in verse 18, <clears throat> who contrary to hope, in hope believed. In hope believed. Contrary to what he saw. This is the New King James. So, so contrary to, so, so if Abraham was just looking at himself, he's, he's I, I want to say he was in his 80s when he got the promise, but he's 20 years later. God gives him the son, the promised son Isaac. But when God gives him this word, he's past the point of naturally being able to have kids. God says, you're going to have a son. So, so if he evaluated whether or not God could based on what he saw, he wouldn't have believed. But contrary to that, in hope he believed. I think it's a contrast of these two kinds of hope. Contrary to natural hope, worldly hope, world that's, hope that's based on what I can see, in hope, in what's eternal, in who God is, a confident expectation of good, in hope he believed. And because he believed, he became. <laughs> well, 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 I'll believe after I become, after I figure it out. No, that's not the way it works. That's not the way things are. The way things work in God's kingdom, in God's economy, is God specializes with nothing and making it something. So we believe first, and then he be, we become. Okay. Israel later would be given a promise in Joel chapter 2, verse 25. I think this is important because Israel, there, there's sometimes we think, okay, I deserve restoration in an area. I deserve recovery. But Israel didn't deserve it, and yet God gave it. In fact, God gave it so much that in their season of judgment, Joel chapter 2, verse 25, here's what God said to them. I will restore to you the years. Like, like he didn't just say, I'm going to restore to you the days. I, I got that. The weeks. But God said, I'm going to restore to you the years. And he describes this, they had, their harvest had been destroyed by locusts. They were brought to such devastation. But God says, here's what I'm going to do. When I restore you, I'm going to restore the years. Not just a little bit. In fact, there's so many times we think, well, for God to get me where I need to be, it's going to take a lot of work because it took me a lot of time to mess it up. <laughs> Anybody else? Like, am I the only one? Okay. But God can do in a moment what took me a lifetime to mess up. And God can restore the years. Oh, it's too late. I'm too old. Too much time's gone by. There's too much damage in my relationship. There's too much brokenness. There's too many, too many words have been said. Does, does your marriage need years restored? Does, does your family need years restored? Does your calling, your purpose, your business even, Need years restored. Someone took something from you. Something betrayed your trust. And, and, and so many times people, you talk to them today and they're preoccupied with who left them and who took their, their family and who took their business and how things didn't work out. And, but we serve a God who can restore the years. Number two, if you're taking notes, is this. Just add water. Just add water. Okay. I like simple. So 
my wife can cook. I can't. She's like, stop telling people I can cook. They're going to think I'm like a gourmet cook. To me, she is. Because if it wasn't for my wife in 16 years, I would be eating macaroni and cheese pretty much every day. You think I'm joking. It's not true. It, it is true. So, so I, I need simple. Like, I need recipes that all you have to do is add water. <laughs> Keep it simple. And, and when we look at what God can do in our lives, what does he say? God say to Ezekiel, verse four, again he said to me, prophesy to these bones. What does he tell him to do? He says, hear the word of the Lord. What is prophecy? Now we think sometimes this prophecy is just foretelling, like somebody's predicting the future. And while the Bible's full of that, the Bible's full of prophecies of the first coming of Jesus and then the second coming of Jesus, and, and he fulfilled all the first coming ones and he's still got more to fulfill in, in his second return, in his return. But, but here's what we have to recognize. While there's a lot that, predicts the future. Prophecy isn't just limited to God predicting things happening, but it's at its simplest definition is hearing what God says and saying what God says. <laughs> oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I believe there's two things that, that for us are the water that brings to life what's dead. We have God's word, and we have the Holy Spirit. We have the word of God. So, so if, if our circumstance says dry, hopeless, and God's word says something different, what do we need to do? We need to bring to bear the word. Just add water. Like, like if we could just get a hold of what this says. Do you know God would say of Israel, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And it wasn't knowledge just so like, hey, you've got to get more information and you've got to be an expert in theology. But it was, we don't, I know this is super, you know, simple, but, but I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> and then I find God's word and I go, oh, my attitude. Oh, what I value. Oh, what I think. And then I find out his word may contradict what I thought about the dry bones. And I can either embrace the dry bones, I can either stay stuck where I am and say, well, you know what, I like hopelessness because I like how everybody feels sorry for me. Oh, I, I won't go there, I promise. But what if I just added water? What if in my life, my family, my relationships, my, my future, I began to add what God's word says instead of what I feel? Oh, we're experts in what we feel. But you know, the problem with your feelings is they're temporary. My feelings are flaky. Anybody else? But his word brings life. God's spirit comes along. And, and right from the beginning, we see this in Genesis, if I could re refer back to this. Genesis 1, verse 2, it says this. The darkness, the earth was formless and, without, uh, formless and empty. I'm quoting New King James. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And watch where the Holy Spirit is. Go to the next part. The Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters. Holy Spirit's present, just waiting, ready to go. And what happens next? Go to the thing. Then God said, let there be light. 
Why does the Bible tell us that the Holy Spirit's present, hovering over the waters? Like that, the, the word in, in, in Hebrew literally is like a chicken brooding over her, her eggs, like brooding over the nest. That's the picture. The Holy Spirit's ready to go to work. But the very next thing that happens is God's word gets released. What if you and I would begin to replace what we feel and what we think and what we complain about with what God's word says? You know what would happen? The Holy Spirit that's ready to work, that's ready to change things, that's ready to fight on our behalf, would go to work and bring dead things to life. We see this all throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament. The Holy Spirit confirms what God said. Now, Isaiah 55, I love this. Isaiah 55, God has to remind me, at least, and I know he does for all of us. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Oh, that was a good day when I learned he's God and I'm not. He controls the future, I don't. He knows what's ahead, I don't. He knows what door to walk through, and I don't. He knows what opportunities to say yes to and what things to say no to. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Yeah, but this this person checks all the boxes for me. Yeah, but but, but is, is this going to bring you to Jesus? Or is this going to derail your future? This, this job opportunity pays more than the other job. I know, but will you have to compromise who you are to keep that job? Because God sees what we don't see. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither are his ways our ways. For as the heavens, this is how he describes it, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. He says, my thoughts, my ways, my plans are higher than anything you can come up with. For as the rain, but watch what he says next. He uses an analogy. He says, for the rain, as the rain comes down and snow from heaven, just remember that in January, snow comes from heaven, okay. (laughs) Even though sometimes it doesn't feel that way. And does not return there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth in bud so that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Here's the whole process, the water cycle. He's describing this. Water comes down, brings something up. Here's, Here's the point. He says, so shall my word be. Verse 11, that goes out of my mouth. It's not coming back to me empty, void. God says, I'm I'm sending my word like rain on the ground, like rain on a dry, dead valley. Shall not return void, but it shall accomplish what I please. That brings great confidence to me. When I remind myself that God's word is not empty and it it will not return to God empty. God sends it, and it accomplishes something in my life. When I pray God's word, when I stand on God's word, when I believe God's word, what is it doing? It's watering the dry ground, and it will bring something. I may not see it yet. Do you know how much stuff in your life and mine, when God restores and God's moving, you can't see? It's below the surface, and we get discouraged and think God's not doing something. I showed you that picture in the beginning of Death Valley, Every couple years, something happens, and I forget the year. It was like 2015 or 2016. They had something that happened in Death Valley called the Super Bloom. Before you put it on the screen, here's what happened. They had an unusual rain. 
And, and while Death Valley looked dead any other time of year, in fact, there were guys who were park rangers in that area that worked there for decades and only seen a glimpse of this. But then this happened. Go ahead and put the screen up. This is Death Valley. What was under the ground, what was under the surface, they call it a super bloom. And all that was required was a little bit of water. And what was dead came to life. I wonder if our lives look like that. We feel dead. We look at things, they look dead. Our hope's gone, but just below the surface, just the, just the whiff of the presence of God, just the touch of the word of God, just five seconds of the presence of God can bring dead things to life. Job is not something I'd recommend reading for your morning devotionals. You should read Job, but don't read it in the morning. But there's this analogy he uses in, in Job 14. In verse 7, it says, there's hope for a tree. If it's cut down, it will sprout again. And that its tender shoots will not cease. And though its roots may grow old in the earth and its stump die in the ground, yet at the scent of water, it will bud. Bring forth branches like a plant. Even though it's cut down, even though it's, it's it, in every measure seems dead at the scent of water. Do you know what God's presence does in my life? Do you know what the word of God does in our life? It's the scent of water that calls us to life, that resurrects what seems hopeless, that takes what's empty and broken. So here's my challenge to you, church. Keep watering. Because you don't know what's below the surface. Just keep watering, keep inviting the Holy Spirit, keep reading the word of God and praying the word of God and standing on what God has said. Number three, and the final point for the message today is this, on your feet. (laughs) You don't have to stand on your feet yet, just wait a second. But, But on your feet, because here's what happens to the dry bones. There begins to be a rattling. There begins to be a shaking. Have you ever started to take a step towards God and things start shaking? You start start saying yes to God in some new ways and things start shaking. You start praying. Have you ever prayed for somebody and it looks like the opposite you prayed for just happened? God move in their life. And it seems like all that's happening right now is the devil moving in their life. Because when dry bones begin to rattle, it indicates movement even though it doesn't look like what you expected. And he looks at a valley full of dry bones, and in stages, they begin to come together. Then there's the flesh, then the breath. And God brings to life what is dry bones in this vision becomes an army. They go from bones connecting to bones to standing shoulder to shoulder, an army. Do you know what the church is? The church is not a group of discouraged, broken, hopeless individuals. But it is the army of God, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the word of God, ready to turn the world upside down, not saying, Jesus, beam me up, get me out of here before it gets even worse. He's coming again. But I'm telling you, if the church would stop living on on defense and start moving into offense, we would see our families won. We would see our communities transformed. We would see our cities taken because the devil is not greater than Jesus. Thank you. Amen.
Recovery is about reconnection. Sometimes God replaces what's been lost. And whenever God replaces what's been lost, instead of just restoring it, it's because what he's replaced it with is going to be even better. So don't put a limit on how God can do it and how he will restore and how he will recover, but the issue is about reconnection. The bones came together. And I want to challenge you, church, as we do something like today, just very simply, we're doing our city group launch, is don't do life alone. Don't, don't try to just work it out on your own. Get people around you that will pray you through. Get people around you that will lift you up and be that for other people. Because an army is not made up of an individual, but an army is a group of people that God has raised to life. That God, listen, he took what was the hopeless, dry house of Israel and says, no, they're an army. Now, I guarantee you there's not one of those Israelites in that generation that were exiles, that were captives, that would have looked at themselves and said, I'm an army. Like, we're, we're warriors. We're more than conquerors. I preached on that in May. Like, they, nobody would have looked at their circumstance and evaluated it that way, but that's what God saw. That's what God was making them into, but they couldn't do it alone. They were an exceedingly great army together. This word army in, in Hebrew means a force of strength, ability, and influence. And I, I think in our culture, we've cheapened the word influence because we look at it like, if I can make a dance video, I'm an influencer. I haven't done that yet. I will one day. I, I'm threatening my teenagers. But, but here's, here's what I, I want you to know, that God's called you to turn the world upside down. Like, God's called you to make an impact. And it may, it may look different than somebody else's calling. Like, there's... We need missionaries, we need pastors, we need leaders. The greatest crisis in America's, in the church today, is a crisis of, of, of people in ministry, quitting, throwing in the towel, surrendering, giving up. Like, like it's, it's, it's huge. But I'm telling you this because maybe today there's, there's something inside of you that God's going to use to do that. But, but that's not the only way God wants you to influence people. What if God used you to impact your neighborhood? I don't know what it is about missions. I love missions. We're going to get some trips going. But like we think, if I get on the plane and I fly to this other country, God's going to zap me and all of a sudden I can reach people. <laughs> like what if God could zap you right now? In a good way. To, to impact your neighbors. To be a light in a dark place. To be, listen, you don't have to know 45,000 Bible verses, but you can give hope. You can encourage, you can pray for other people, you can be life-giving when the world is only life-taking. And if you're hopeless today, I want to challenge you because restoration is about reconnection in the story. And the biggest reconnection we need is our reconnection with God. I will ask you now to stand your feet, please. Jason, if you would come up. We need to reconnect with God. I've had a couple seasons of my life where even as a Christian, and even in my case, serving in ministry, serving God's people, sharing the word, praying with people, pouring out to others, I would find myself in what I would call being a professional Christian. 
and I realized what was missing was I was still doing the same stuff, but there was a disconnect in my daily time with Jesus. And God has not called you and I just to do things for him, but to be with him. Because the strength of this army was not in their ability, was not in their strength and their resource. No, it was actually in the one whose word brought them to life. And what's going to restore your marriage is not just going to be another book, another idea. It's going to be the presence of God at the center of your marriage. What's going to restore your faith is not just learning more information. I'm all about education and learning and growth. I, I read every, like I read all the time. I, I would say every day, but then I didn't read yesterday. Okay. God's keeping me honest. But I, 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 I'm always reading. I'm always, and I think that's important. But we never were given, meant to be have information without a connection with the God who created us. And what if you, what if reconnecting with God is the key to reigniting your faith? What, what, what if the distance, the gap was closed? And I'm speaking first to the Christians in the room that maybe your love doesn't burn hot like it used to. You used to be passionate for Jesus. My wife, I've told you a story before, but my wife is, is newly saved, serving Jesus on fire for God, reaching our city in Phoenix. And she's, she's just 110% all in for Jesus. And a lady in the church, well-meaning, but totally, totally wrong, pulls her aside and says, oh, this is nice, but it won't always be like this. It won't always be like that. Like one day, you, <laughs> you want to lay hands on somebody. What if, what if reconnecting with Jesus was the key to reigniting your faith? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in here and you don't have a relationship with God, maybe what you need isn't restoration in a relationship, although what you don't realize is God always loved you. He always invited you to himself. You just didn't know it yet. God created you. He dreamed of your life before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. God formed the heavens and the earth and dreamed about you. And from every moment that you chose a different road and a different way and turned your back to him, he still pursues. He still calls you because 2,000 years ago, heaven gave its greatest gift. Jesus came from heaven to earth to die in my place and in yours to take our sin. Sin is what separates us from God. It's what creates the disconnection. It's what produces the dryness. It's what leads us into the death valley of our lives. And Jesus came to resurrect, to restore, and to bring us to the God who always loved us, dreamed about us, and invited us to know him. And today, We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.